Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. All right, so uh, one of the themes that Claire and I have been unpacking with you guys this year is that, like, this faith, I mean... Like, who remembers the very first session, we, what, what the title was? What was the very first? It was, um, it was like, our religion is wonderful, but kind of weird. That's right. Being Catholic is awesome, but kind of weird, too, right? Being Catholic is awesome, but kind of weird, too. And then we kind of unpack some different things about, like, like the discipleship isn't really what we tend to think it is. Or, um, like, Jesus isn't who you really think he is, right? All of these different things. This is really important because... As you're growing up in the church, like all of us are, all of you are, as you're growing up in the church, you're, you're, you're building a mental picture of what the story is and who God is and who we are and all these different things, right? So you're building this mental picture, and, and oftentimes it's, there's, there's truth, there's truth in there, but there's also distortions in there, right? So there's true parts and false parts. And what we wanted to do is we want to kind of clear away as much of the false parts as possible and say, no, this is actually the truth. This is actually the true part. Um, I think when, when people think about the Catholic Church, um, I don't know if you know this, by being part of the Catholic Church, you're part of one of the most hated organizations in the world. I don't know if you know that. Um, by being part of the Catholic Church, you're, you're part of one of the most uh, vilified, uh, demonized, attacked, undermined persecuted groups within the world. You know, there, there, are more, there, there are more martyrs made. What's a martyr? Someone who has died for, the died for their faith. More precisely, they were killed for their faith, right? There were more martyrs made in the 20th century than all the previous centuries of the church combined. Did you know that? Yeah. And the 21st century, which we're in right now, there are, like, we are vastly outpacing the 20th century. It's crazy. It's crazy. Being part of the Catholic Church is a very difficult thing. Because why? Because we live in a culture where everything is moving, everything is changing. We live in a world right now where people are saying there really is no such thing as truth. There's really no such thing as truth. It's just whatever you want to be true is what's true. Is that true? Could that possibly be true? No. no. Right? If I say there's no, there, are, there are no absolute truths, well, is that statement true? <laughs> like, we live in a world that's very confused. The world is constantly moving and changing. And what does the Catholic Church do? It stays, it stays still. It stays still. There's a great uh, saying. Uh, what's the community? The, I think it's the Cistercians. Might be the sister. Anyway, there's some religious community where their motto, here's, here's what it is in Latin. Stat crux mundum dum ulbitor vulvis. The, the cross stands still while the world turns. The cross stands still while the world turns. That's French. No, That's Latin. Latin. It's enchantment table. It's Latin. Okay. So here's what we want to do this morning. We want to unpack um, something that I think is the most controversial part of the Catholic Church. I think it's, again, part of why the church is most vilified, most hated, most misunderstood. It's what we have to say about what it means to be human about our embodiment. Now, this is going to be a review for some of you who are over at Sacred Heart because you've had me teaching you for a while, but this is, in, this is, this is great stuff to hear again and again. 
Um, so I want to start with this. I want to show you. Um, I want to show you a, a, a video. Uh, some of you maybe seen this before, but this kid's my hero. I want to start with this. So Logan Paul. This dude. Oh, oh I've seen this. This little dude. question are they are they in love no no what what would we call this kind of love Romantic who said it puppy love right puppy love puppy love right what is that what is this i don't know what that means what is this chase what is this uh, it's when you love someone or something but you don't want to give your life it's like young, it's like young silly love. It's like preschool love. It's like when I was in preschool, how I proposed to every girl in my preschool class. Like that was. It's just true. There was, I was. I was. I know. Listen, there was a girl. Her name was Nicole. Her name was Nicole. Nicole, listen, to this guys. You're this is gonna blow your mind. Nicole used to when we were at lunch together. She used to give me her grapes. Oh. I know. I know. I see that. And, and I would, uh, I would then also convince her to give me her goldfish. Oh! I mean, grapes I get, but going straight. And then the I goldfish. would give her my milk because I didn't like milk. So there she got extra milk. I got grapes and goldfish. I had proposed to every single girl in in preschool by the time I was done with preschool. Now, I, I was I married to any of those girls? No. Right? No. And like this is anybody in here have like any of those sort of preschool crushes? Anybody get married in preschool? Oh, I'm still married. Yeah, you did. Did you get? Hang on, hang on. Did you get? To, did you get married to anybody in here in preschool? No. Ah, uh, bummer. What's that? Oh, really? Is that awkward? We see each other in the hallway. Like, hey, we have history. No. All right. Wouldn't that be wild though? If, here's here's actually a true story. My cousin, my cousin and his wife, they were like puppy love preschool like husband and wife in preschool and then they actually got married later in life pretty crazy yeah anyway all right so this is this is like this is just silly goofiness i remember though i remember like this sort of reality changes as you grow up right this is something that doesn't stay it, it evolves it evolves like i remember so i didn't go to catholic school i went to hudson public school so uh once you, once you finish fifth grade, you go to the middle school, right? So middle school in Hudson, I don't know what it is here in Wadsworth, but middle school in Hudson was sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So as an incoming sixth grader, you're with like, so you're like 11 or whatever, however old, however old you are. You're like 11 years old and there's like 14-year-old people walking around you. And it's a very different experience than being like in a fourth and fifth grade building. I remember like first day of fifth grade or sixth grade, 
like walking the halls and seeing some of these eighth grade girls, and I was like, what in the world? Like, it was a very different experience. I'm just going to tell you. It was a very different experience being a sixth grade boy surrounded by uh, all these other people. And there's different feelings that come up. Like, I had my first girlfriend in sixth grade. I have, some of you know this story. Anybody remember her name? Her name was... We'll, we'll call her Chelsea because that was her name. Um, so I thought Chelsea was, was, was awesome. I thought she was beautiful. And so um, I, in study hall, I, I wrote a note. I wrote a note, okay? Um, I, I spilled my, my heart out in this note. I just professed my love for her. I was like Romeo, all right? So I'm telling Chelsea about how much I love her and how great I think she is, all these things. And at the end of the note, right, I, this isn't the actual note, but it looks something like this. I wrote, like, will you be my girlfriend? Check yes. Check no. Okay, now watch. I folded up the note like a paper football. Hang on. Shh. I folded up the note like a paper football, and I sent it through the desks, through my buddies, to her. And I saw her to get the note. She opens it up, and I see her reading it. And then she throws it away. Hang on. Don't ruin it, Carter. Don't ruin it. You're going to love how the story ends. Got to hear the story ends. I see her reading. She grabs like her gel pen out of her little pencil case, and then she makes a check mark on the oh. paper. And I'm like, my heart is beating so fast. So she folds it back up, sends it back down this way. I open it up. She checked yes. All right, she checked yes. She was my girlfriend. This was, this was my girlfriend. I don't. I don't. So, so we were boyfriend and girlfriend for a really awesome two weeks. Okay, so it was a, it was a heck of a romance. We sat next to each other at lunch, and uh, so she, she was a righty, I was a righty. So I would sit on her right side, so we would hold hands during lunch. It was really, really, really hot. Okay, so we, I remember the day we were holding, we were holding hands like this, and I remember the day it was a Tuesday when we held hands like this. Here's what's really hard. Here's what's really hard. So, like, so I'm holding her hand. She's a righty. I'm a righty. So I gave up my right hand because I'm chivalrous, you know. So she could eat her lunch with her right hand. I'm trying to eat my lunch with my left hand. You ever try and eat with your non-dominant hand? No. You you end up looking like. Hey, ladies. You end up looking like a Neanderthal. Right? You're covered in food. Okay. So it wasn't good. All right, so here's what I want to tell you this morning, that all of that stuff, that like, that love, desire, longing, passion, that desire to be like boyfriend, girlfriend, all of that stuff, that is very bad and very evil, and it's going to send you to hell. What? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right, just kidding. You're like, whoo! Oh, man. Okay. No. It's very, listen, it's very good. Let's just start with this. Let's start with this. That stuff, that longing, desire, passion, like all of that, it's very good. It's very good. It's like rocket fuel, though. It's rocket fuel. Is rocket fuel powerful? Yes. Yes, it's very powerful. It can send a rocket to outer space, right? It's very powerful. But it also can explode. It also can do a lot of damage. So we have to understand all of this stuff. Like, have you ever wondered? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Like, have you ever wondered... Like, why God has given us this kind of humanity, why he's given us these bodies, why there are men, why there are women, why there's masculinity, why there's femininity, why there's attraction, desire, all of this stuff. Like, God is the author of it. He's the author of it. It was his idea. 
It was his idea. He's the author of our sexuality. He's the author of our desires. He's the author of like everything when it comes to love and passion. Right? All of that. He's the one who created the male and female difference. He made that. He made it in the beginning. Here's the question. What did he make it for? Don't answer this rhetorical. What did he make it for? Here's the answer. To reveal and to participate in divine life. Say it with me. To reveal and to participate in divine life. One more time. To reveal and to participate in divine life. This is why God made us this way. To reveal and to participate in divine life. Now I know when I say that, it's kind of like, I don't really get what that means. But I just want you to imagine right now, like, like close your eyes for a second, just, and humor me, just close your eyes for a second, if you desire to, but stay with me. Just imagine the very best day that you've ever had. Like, try and bring to your mind right now, like, the, the peak moments, the best moments, the moments that were so unbelievably good. And the thing about those moments is that they end, right? It's a memory. It's in the past. Like, those, these moments when they come along in our lives, these are moments where we say, I wish I could have this, whatever this is, something like this, forever. Are you going to open your eyes for a second? I, I know I'm not the only one who's experienced something like that in life. I hope you've experienced incredible days, incredible moments where you're like, oh, man, like, there's life and then there's whatever this is. And when I talk about divine life, when I talk about divine life, I'm talking about that thing that says it's never going to end. Like God created our maleness and our femaleness to reveal and to participate in divine life. To have, listen, to have access to, to have access to, and a little foretaste of that unbelievable life that we're all looking for. I know right now it like, 13, 14 years old, that might not sound like, like that makes a lot of sense. But trust me, if you stay with this, this will change your life. This will change your life. Like the world has a very different view, a very different story about our sexuality, about our humanity. The world has a very different take on what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Basically, you could boil it down to this, that it's meaningless, it's just there to be enjoyed. There's really no meaning behind it. And here's the thing. Like, those who listen to that story, those who live according to that vision, they're miserable. There's a, there's a man who's a, uh, he's a photographer. He lives in New York City. And he began this project where he, he meets these basically homeless people, people who live on the streets. And he interacts with them, meets them, hears their story. This is, guess how old would you say this, this woman is? 36. 30. 32. 30. 30. 14. This is a 16-year-old girl. This is a person who was trafficked. This is a trafficking victim. She got out of human trafficking somehow. I'm not sure exactly how that happened, but she got out of human trafficking but didn't know how to get out of the lifestyle. She, she, lives, she lives according to the culture's lie about what her body means. Does she look happy? 
No. No. I know this is an extreme example, but this is, this is where that leads. It leads to misery. It leads to misery. So we have two different views, two different stories. On the one hand, the culture says it's meaningless. Do whatever you want. Change it, manipulate it, whatever you want. And the church here is saying, no, no, no. It's incredibly meaningful. It's not meaningless. It's meaningful. In other words, it's full of meaning. Like our masculinity, our femininity, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. And it's meaningful. And the thing is, when you take something out of God's design and use it for a different purpose, what ends up happening? Bad things, right? What happens if I decide I want to use my microwave as a fork warmer? No. It's not going to work. I'm going to burn my house down, right? It's going to burn your house down. Don't do this. I know some of you are like, what will happen? Don't do it. Don't do it. I should have used a different example. Okay. You take something outside of the maker's plan, bad things happen. Bad things happen. Okay, so our bodies, our bodies, our bodies were designed for a purpose. Our bodies, kind of don't touch the light. Our bodies were designed as a gift to be bestowed. That's the truth, right? Again, you take something outside of the maker's plan, bad things happen. Anybody ever hear of this movie? Yeah. Supersize yes. Me? Morgan Spurlock, he's a documentarian. He, he, he wanted to do a, an experiment where... He ate McDonald's every single meal for 30 straight days. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner at McDonald's. Seems pretty doable. Some of you are like, I think I'd probably do that. After a few weeks of him doing this, he was going to the doctor regularly. The doctor said, um, your, your body's, you're actually dying. Your body is shutting down from all the sodium and grease. Like, you are not going to survive this. Right? Our bodies are not made to gorge on fake food. Right? We're made for... Fake things or real things? Real things. Real things. Our bodies are made for real things. Okay. So with the little time that we have left, guys, I want to tell you uh, like the story that the church has about our humanity. I want to try and just like look at the first layer of the tip of the iceberg. I want to peel back the curtain just a little bit to tell you a little bit of this story of how the church, how Christianity views our humanity, how the church and, hum- and Christianity views our bodies, because it is amazing. It is amazing. And I promise if, like, unlike that girl, if you listen to this story, it leads to beauty, glory, goodness, and happiness and joy. Like, that's the promise. That's the promise. Okay. Sound good? You with me? Yes or yes? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So, to tell this story properly, we have to go back to the beginning. Say beginning. Beginning. Say it like you mean it. You have to go back to the beginning. To Genesis. To Genesis. Back in ye old Genesis days. So what we discover in Genesis is we see a God, guys, we see a God who's creating by the sheer power of his word. Right? This is very different than any other ancient Near Eastern myth. In ancient Near Eastern myths, like in other parts of the world, you see gods and goddesses fighting it out, ripping each other's bodies, doing crazy things to create creation. Christianity, Judaism, our creation myth is very different. We have a God who just speaks and things happen, right? Let there be light and what happens? There's light, right? Let the waters come forth, they come forth. Let them separate, they separate. Now, is Genesis a scientific textbook? No, no. It's not trying to explain to us geologically, astrologically, the physics of how the universe came into being. 
It's explaining us the meaning, the story behind it. Right? It's telling a truth, but in a way that's different than how scientific books and textbooks tell the truth. Right? So it's true, it's just true in a different way. All right, so Genesis is telling us that God speaks and things happen. What God is doing in Genesis is he's creating a, he's essentially creating a stage. He creates a space and then he fills the space. He creates the space and fills the space. Right? He creates the sea, and then what does he put in the sea? Fish. Fish. He creates the sky. What does he put in the sky? Birds. He creates the earth. What does he put in the earth? Plants, vegetation, animals, all those things. Beasts that creep and crawl. The creepy crawlies. At the culmination of all of it, we hear God say this. So up to this point, God has been saying, let there be, and then it happens. Exactly true. Let there be light, and there's light. You still got it, Drew. You still got it. You still got it. You still got it. Let there be light, and there's Drew. Light. Light, man. You got it. All right. Let the waters come forth in the waters. They did that. They did that. They did that. Then we hear something different on the sixth day. Then we hear God say, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's us? Great question. Great question. This is the first time in the Old Testament where the Trinity pokes its head out from behind the curtain. Right? That's, that's the Trinity speaking. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Male and female, he created them. So in the first story of Genesis, when we hear God creates man, Adam, from the dirt of the earth. Right? The word Adam. Anybody named Adam in here? Do we have any Adams? We have no Adam. No, you're We're not here. Adam. We're here. You're not Adam. Get out of here. Get out of here. The name Adam, anybody knows what the name Adam means? Yes. Dirt man. Dirt man. Actually. Adam, a creature of earth. Yes. Dirt man. Jaden. Jaden. Adam means dirt man. It means dirt man. Yeah. Okay. So we have God creating man. He creates Adam first. He plants him in the garden and says, I want you to till and to keep this garden. Adam is different than the other creatures that God has made. Adam has... Two different abilities that the other creatures don't have. Adam can do what? He can think, which is rationality. He has a rational mind, and he can do what? Be alive. He can. Who said be alive? He has free will. He has free will. He can think and he can choose, which means that man alone has the capacity for love. Someone else said it. Right? God created us with this capacity for love. So he puts them in the garden, and he leaves them there. He leaves them there. Now, Adam's doing his thing in the garden, but then it's God who notices something that's not good. Up to this point, everything's been good. The sky is good, the fish is good, the sea is good, everything's good. There's something that's not good. What's not good? He's lonely. He's lonely. It's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. So what does God do? Creates woman from rib. <laughs> Hang on, I'm not listening to the <laughs> Yeah, a little anesthesia. Uh huh. Uh, you're, you're, you're confusing a few things, but you got the first part right. Okay, so let me ask you a question. What is Adam made from? Dirt. What, will, what is Eve made from? Rib. Adam is made from dirt. The woman is made from something that already contains within itself a higher degree of perfection. Eve, in other words, Eve is made from better stuff. You look at Genesis, Genesis is creation on the way up. Things are getting more and more complex and more and more beautiful. 
So the last to show up in creation is who? Eve. Eve, right? So Adam wakes up, he sees Eve, and he cries out from his heart. He says, this one at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, this one shall be called woman. And then Genesis says the two of them were both naked and they felt no shame. They were naked and they felt no shame. Now, does that mean because they were like naive and didn't know any better? No. It's because they were gazing. Listen, it's because they were gazing upon each other with love. There was love that permeated everything. Okay, I want you to listen, think about this. One God and three persons. We call this the Holy Card. You can try again to redeem yourself. The Holy Trinity. Trinity. Right? And the letter of 1 John. Letter of 1 John. We hear that he says that God is what? Three persons. Love. 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 Holy Trinity. God is love. Now think about this. Think about this. If you get this, this is crucial. So pay attention. Boys in the back. What? Listen. Our God is a trinity, right? Trinity of persons. From all time, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in this endless exchange of love, this infinite love. That's what the trinity is, right? From all time, the Father's been pouring out love to the Son. The Son's been receiving that love, giving it back to the Father. That exchange between the two is so substantial. It's the third person of the trinity. It's this endless exchange of love. So when God, who is a trinity of love, goes to make an image of himself in creation... He doesn't just make a man. He doesn't just make a woman. He makes a couple. He makes a couple whose bodies and souls are complementary. They correspond to each other. Boys, they correspond to each other. And then we hear in Genesis, when the two become one flesh, they become so much one flesh that what often happens nine months later? Baby. There's a baby. A baby. Right? Listen to this. Just pay attention. Pay attention. What the couple is, what marriage is, it's the earthly image of the Trinity. The earthly image of the Trinity. Right? Life-giving love. Life-giving love. Life-giving love. When the t- Look at this image right here. So you got this couple... Right there, look. This couple who gets married. That's me. Actually, I see them. That's cufflinks. You can tell by my biceps that that's me. (laughs) When the two become one, when they come together, when their bodies come together, it's a life-giving union. Right? Their love becomes a life-giving union. And then they become three in one. Just like our God who is three in one. Right? Three in one. Okay. Let's recap. Stay with me. Okay. So we have a God who is creating everything. He creates man and woman out of, out of nothing, right? He creates the man, he creates the woman. As an image of himself in creation, he creates us to be an image of the Trinity on earth. And then it goes further than that. It goes further than that. Because did things stay perfectly wonderful in the garden? Unfortunately, unfortunately, no. Right? Who enters into the story? The serpent. The serpent. Right? So this—that's right, Chase. Satan. Satan enters into the story, and he approaches Eve not because she's the weaker one. He approaches Eve because she's the receptive one. 
he, the one who's meant to open and receive. That's why he approaches her. So she, she falls for the enemy's lies, and then what happens is disaster. Disaster ensues. There's breakage and rupture in every level. Some of you have seen this video. We've, I think we've seen this already in, in, uh, in a blaze, but it bears repeating. This is actual footage of the fall of man. Really? Here's Adam in the garden. Look how happy and free the human person is. We're always chilling with all four of those rivers. Just wait. Just look how wonderful, happy he is in the garden. Just so happy. Wait for it. He's so happy. Wait. Well! Oh no! So listen, God comes into the garden immediately after the fall. He starts saying, Adam, where are you? This is not God saying, this is not like the first game of hide and go seek. He's not like, man, I shouldn't have made so many bushes in this garden. What did Adam and Eve do after the fall? They hid themselves out of shame and fear. They hid themselves, right? So what does God do? He says, I will smite you. No, no. He says, I'm going to restore this. I'm going to fix this. I'm I'm going to bring you back. So God, at this point, launches his rescue mission. He launches his rescue mission. Connor, you were quoting The Princess Bride. Yes. Right? Best movie of all time. Give us the basic... Uh, I'm not even going to ask you to do this. The basic synopsis ask, of ask The Princess Bride. Ask me to do it, please. There's Princess who? Uh, Buttercup. And she needs to be rescued by who? Uh, Leslie. <laughs> Wesley. Yes. Wesley. The bride needs to be rescued by the groom. By the groom. Okay. So this is a way that we can think about. This is a way we can think about the entire Old Testament. From the fall, God has launched a rescue mission to restore us to Himself. This is what the whole ladies. God has launched a rescue mission to restore us to Himself. The entire Old Testament, this is God trying to restore relationship. This is him trying to restore relationship. Everything that he's doing in the Old Testament, he's trying to restore relationship. Everything he's doing. Because why? What is God's deepest desire? This rhetorical question, what is God's deepest desire? God's deepest desire, God's deepest desire is, relate, is union. He wants union with us. He wants union with us. Which is a crazy thing. He wants, he's so interested in you, he wants to share his life with you. His divine life, he wants to share his life with you. Like us, like, who are we, you know? 
He wants to share his life with us. He wants union with us. He wants, some, he wants a relationship with us that the, the best image, the best analogy that he can give is it's like he's saying, I want something like a marriage with you. Like marriage is this sign that God created to explain the kind of relationship that he wants with us. Right? Married people, think about your parents. Married people have relationships with all sorts of other people. They share a lot of life with a lot of different people. But only with their spouse do you share the entire gift of your life, your, your entire self. Right? That's what marriage is. It's a total gift of self. And God is saying, that's what I want. I want to share the entire gift of my life with you. I want to share all of my life with you. That's what he desires. Now, let's be clear about something. In this whole story of like, God wants to marry us, let's be very clear about a few things about what that means and what that doesn't mean. That, like, we were made as humanity, we were made to be like the bride. We were made to be like the bride. Now, before my, my brothers here, before we get nervous about what that means, that does not mean that like, we need to put on like the white wedding dress. You know, that's not what this means. Please, silence your cell phones. Um, that's not what this means. That's not what this means. What this means is this. This is huge. If you can listen to this, this is huge. That the body reveals divine truths. Our bodies reveal divine mysteries. Like the body of a woman reveals, it says something different than what the body of a man says. Our bodies look and say different things. Right? The man's body, a man's body reveals like the fact that God, who from the outside wants to come in and give the gift of divine life. God who's on the outside, outside of creation, right? He's outside of creation. He wants to give himself as a gift into creation. Right? And the woman's body says, I'm meant to open and receive the gift. Like every single one of us. You wouldn't be here if you didn't spend the first nine months of your life in your mother's womb. Every single person begins your life inside a woman's body. That's where we all begin our life. And thanks be to God for that. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that, right? Every single one of us. Our bodies reveal and speak different things. Again, what does the culture say our bodies reveal? We're the same. Mm, we're the same. Nothing. It's meaningless. Again, the church, our story is saying our bodies are not meaningless. Our bodies are meaningful. Oh. Meaningful. God is trying to bond humanity back to him. He's trying to restore, if you will, he's trying to restore the marriage. He's trying to restore the marriage. He's trying to restore the relationship. So he does this throughout the whole Old Testament. And all of this culminates, it culminates in this incredible moment. The scriptures call this the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God sends his angel from heaven to this virgin in Nazareth, whose name is Mary. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph, Joseph of the house of David. David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, the angel says, Hail, full of grace. Picture this, picture this. It's as if Gabriel comes to Mary, and it's like he's down on one knee. Who do you see down on one knee before a woman, typically? A gentleman. Oh, a, man. a man. doing what? Proposing. 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 What's a proposal? It's saying, will you spend your life with me? Will you give me everything? 
That's essentially what heaven is doing. Heaven is coming to her saying, will you open yourself? Will you give yourself to me? Will you open yourself and let divine life come where? In you. In you. Like Mary was pregnant with God. The two became one flesh. Where? In her. Heaven and earth united in her. God and humanity united where? In her. In her. This is where it all happens. In her. So Jesus comes along. He's not, we say in the creed, I believe in Jesus Christ who is true God and, say it again, true God and true man. He's not part God and part man. He's true God and true man. Right? In his very person, in his very person, he brings together heaven and earth. In his very person, he brings these two realities together. This is what's incredible about Jesus. All right, where is Jesus' first miracle? What does he do? Wine. Where? Wedding. In what city? Cana. Cana. Good job. Good job. He turns water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana. Is it interesting? Think about this. Isn't it curious that the God who says, I am the bridegroom, in other words, I am the groom, isn't it interesting that the very first miracle that he does is at a wedding feast? Think about this. He could very int- if you have a beard, you got to stroke your beard. Oh, very I have a curious. Stars. I can do that. Very curious. That's yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> I don't even see hair. The God who is a groom, the very first time he does a miracle, he could have done anything. The very first miracle he does is at a wedding feast, where he turns 180 gallons of water into Drew, let's see if you know this, 180 gallons of wine. Water. Wine. Oh, what? Oh, sorry. 108 gallons of wine. wine. Now, was it like crappy wine or was it really good wine? The best wine. It was the best wine. It was the finest wine, right? Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, throughout Jesus' ministry, he refers to himself as the bridegroom and he refers to his apostles basically as as his groomsmen. At the very culmination of his life, Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with his apostles, right? Where he takes bread, he takes wine, he says to the bread, This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. In other words, Jesus is saying vows at the Last Supper. That's what he's saying at the Last Supper. He's essentially giving himself to humanity. Think about a couple on their wedding day. They stand before an altar and they say vows to each other. I give myself to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in for richer for all the days of my life. Right? They're saying, I'm giving myself to you. Everything that I am, I'm giving to you. This is exactly what Jesus is saying at the Last Supper. He's giving himself to his bride. And then on the cross the next day, what happens? The very thing that he said with his words, he does with his what? His body, his actions. That the very thing he said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Is literally what he does. This is, this, the reason why the first Christians called this day Good Friday is because they saw that there was something deeper going on than just like the murder of Jesus. They saw that this was something like a wedding. Good Friday is like a wedding. 
where the groom gives himself. He lays down his life for whom? His bride. And who's his bride? All of humanity. The church, you and me. The reason why we call this day Good Friday is because this is the day where the love of God is revealed. Right? This is where the love of God is revealed. And this reality, this reality comes to us every single day in and through the church. Like this love, like this whole thing, this church thing, mass, sacraments, confirmation, what it's all eventually about is the love of God trying to reach you. You know what? Like you are very hard to reach. Eyes up here. You are very hard to reach. I am very hard to reach. You know why? Because we're afraid of God. Because it's crazy to us that someone would love us like that. That all we know in our lives are people who love us because we're good at this or because we're good at that or because we listen well. All that we know really is kind of conditional love. What the heck would it be like to be loved by unconditional love? I don't know. That's kind of terrifying. We are very hard to reach. You are very hard to reach. And your whole life so far, the only thing that God has been interested in is, I just want you to know my love. I want you to know that it's amazing that you exist. I want you to know that you are so good and gifted, even though you've screwed up so many times. Even though you don't believe in yourself. God is saying, I believe in you. Like right now, are you making your heart beat? No. You are not responsible for your continued existence. God is. Like God is holding you in existence from moment to moment because he believes in you. Because he loves you. Like you in particular. God doesn't see crowds. He sees you. And every single day, all he's trying to do all day long is reach you. Like, he's just saying, just open yourself just a teeny bit. And I promise you it'll be amazing. Like, every, every single time you come to Mass, all of the love that God has, he gives to you. And I know it doesn't look like much or taste like much or feel like much. And when you sit back down in the pew, it doesn't seem like much has happened. But why is it that there are saints in our tradition who, like, for decades, all that they ate was the Eucharist and they survived? Why is it there are saints who, like, they ate the Eucharist once and because it was filling them with so much joy, they, they literally went into ecstasy and went to heaven? Like, there is a mystery happening here that's beyond your imagination. And you and I, we just come forward and just like, yeah, body of Christ, thanks. Everything your heart is looking for is right here. All of the love God has is right here. And he gives to you. The groom, the bridegroom God, gives himself to you as his bride, the church, his beloved. He, he holds nothing back. Like on the cross, like every drop of blood that Jesus had to give, he gave. He gave everything that there was to give. He held nothing back. Everything was given. And he's just saying, will you give me a little bit in return? Will you try and reciprocate? Like this is, this is the story that our bodies tell. Our masculinity, our femininity, it's revealing this mystery. 
This is like my body given for you. And we as the church, the bride, we come forward and we open and receive. The bride's body opens to receive divine life. These are huge mysteries. Huge, huge, huge mysteries.